Hey guys, this is Chris Bircher, and this is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. This is episode 100, The Evolution Paradox. Okay, cu- coupled with episode 99, which was the uniqueness, uniqueness imperative, I wanted to share with you two of the main ideas that have sort of resulted from the preceding 98 episodes and 30-some interviews that I've done on Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, which has been a process of sort of brain dumping everything that I've been thinking about for the last 40 some years out into the world to create a permanent record of it and to help organize my thinking. And so I apologize for the selfish nature of this podcast, but at the same time, I know it's got to at least be somewhat interesting and it's certainly authentic and I'm leaving myself open to complete vulnerability because it's mostly happening in real time, but it's been a wonderful organizational tool. So coupled with journaling and writing and sort of sketching things out, I have uh, developed a couple of ideas that I'm going to explore in episodes 101, ideally through 200 in the development of a book that combines these two ideas and to sort of a Darwinian take on uh, or a, a take on a religious description or a religious religion like system of thinking that gets at what I consider to be the sort of unknown pertinent questions. Um, why am I here? What is the meaning of life? Why do all people suffer? What's what's a new way? Well. A new way that is some amalgamation of the things that I've experienced and thought about in my life to reorganize in a way that might make sense to people like me who are sort of analytic, uh, maybe a little bit empathic, maybe sensitive thinkers that are looking for some um, description of life that makes sense in a way that is inspiring and also gives us permission to live the type of lives that we've sort of always wanted to live. So I feel like these ideas have been out there in the proverbial ether in lots of different people's minds, and I've been able to see this happen, and all I'm doing is putting them together. Stand on the shoulders of giants, which is one of the ideas for the I have for the title of the book, because that's literally what I'm doing. I'm not sure that I have any original thought, but if I have any sort of gift, it's being able to... Um, to see all of these different interactive pieces and put them together in a system that is more simple, um, more parsimonious, if you remember that episode, and it can be understood by just about anybody and makes sense with the least amount of political or religious sort of charge uh, or bias. Um, that's what, I guess that's what I do. But before I get into what are the evolution paradox side of this coin, I want to remind you that... Um, I'm also going to be starting a new project with Paul Godola called Being Better Beings, which is going to really be an excuse, don't tell Paul this, for me to learn (laughs) about what he's figured out. Because he's, although we are on similar paths, we have the same destination, he is so good about congealing this sort of ether spirit and feeling down into these very doable tenets for someone to live in their lives. It's almost like he's written the Ten Commandments um, from from a different perspective. Something he said the other day, he said, um, most things, everything is an act of love or a call for love. And I mean, I'm just like, really? How can you say something that's so simple and so dumb and obvious, but yet so true? (laughs) I really am having trouble not accepting that as one of my Ten Commandments. I mean, it's it's that sort of thing. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. I'll let you know more about that. We've got a bunch of episodes in the can. Um, 
Maybe sometime not too long after this episode airs, uh, that's going to be coming out uh, on YouTube for you to check out. And don't worry, like I said, I'll be doing the book podcast blogs on KEW where I'm writing and videoing and podcasting, uh, but it'll just be coincident with the writing of the book. So as I start chapter one and tell a story, I'll do a podcast about it during the week of where I'm working on that chapter. And that'll probably, a chapter will probably last multiple weeks, which is why I think it's going to take up the most of, you know, until summer 2023, (laughs) which is great because now I got a plan. I don't have to think about it. I hope you enjoy that. I hope you come along with me for that and share this um, with people that you know, and uh, especially those people who may be uh, literary agents and editors. (laughs) And if you just think like this, because both Paul and I, the goal is to find the people we know are like us who are out there and do something to unite us. And so that we're not all, you know, scrolling through the the next podcast we want to listen to and not being able to do it because most everything is outside what we're actually looking for. <laughs> so I'm trying to provide a product and me and Paul too. That's, that's something people are looking for. And we really honestly want to be friends with you. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's get on. You know, give me some critic license. I, this is a hundredth episode. I think I've earned something. Okay, if you remember this, the, the, epo- the evolution paradox and the uniqueness imperative both build on a couple of tenets, and, and the basic one is that DNA can, is a miraculous molecule, and what it does is no, nothing short of amazing, in that it provides a way for impermanent material biological organisms that die, it gives them a way to live permanently. Through sexual reproduction and the having of the genome and the recombination of genomes, it creates new individuals that are a lot like it, but different enough to adjust to a changing environment uh, in, 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 in infinity, you know, ad infinitum, and essentially become immortal. That's why I used to teach my ecology students and evolutionary biology students that the, the primary directive of life is to be immortal, because it isn't. If we were immortal, then we wouldn't have to do that. But we found a workaround. <laughs> and if there's if there's anything humans are good at, it's finding a loophole. Uh, and then, um, and so that's sort of the primary directive. And second to that is that the primary directive is sort of bifurcated. We have individual goals inside, you know, the limitations and boundaries that define an individual. But we also have similar and equivalent communal goals in that we have to make a contribution to the universe, to our species, to our population, to our village, and all the other levels of organization in there, that, and that we have a necessary responsibility to do these things and to uh, make a contribution to ourselves and to our community. And, 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 and as far as, of course, anything born has every right to masturbate its way uh, uh, to lying on the couch and doing nothing, but another fundamental element of this is a responsibility and respect for the, the the billions of years of evolution that came before us. We are stewards of this message and should treat it as such. I mean, if you were given the baby Jesus to, 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 to raise, you would do it as best as you possibly can, right? Well, let's treat our DNA. Let's just for fun superimpose DNA over the God and then imply, apply all of the metaphors from the Bible. So it's, it's up to us to sort of realize and express our DNA in our lifetime because that will lead us. It provides us the guidance 
to live the best life we can, to suffer the least amount, and to make the biggest contribution to the world as we can in our temporary time here to enhance the immortality of the next generation. So there's this linkage, this sense of belonging. And those are two huge things that I have questions about that I can find no satisfying answers. Why are we here? What is my purpose? And are we all connected? You know, and in what way and how are we all connected? And this answers those. And that's why I've arrived here. You know, this just sort of came up. I mean, I don't know. I can't explain it. It just seems completely obvious to me that the secrets to life are all encoded in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a thought system that simply puts DNA at the center, and then the rest will sort of explain itself. And that's the experiment that I'm getting ready to launch on, and this is just sort of where I am. And it will definitely be developed as we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So those are the kind of the underlying assumptions. There's a few I forgot, I'm sure, but they'll come back up. And, and, and so the, the 50,000 foot view of that above DNA and the molecule itself and the immortality and all that is change. If I think about any question I have, life is suffering, the big bang, gravity, uh, romantic relationships. The only sure thing, and it's a, probably a bumper sticker, right? Is that the world changes. Everything changes. Certainly the universe changes. If you believe in the big bang, if you believe that the, the sun is hotter than it was five years ago, if you believe that the craters on the moon came from asteroids hitting them, time passes or whatever. Things change. Premise Numero uno. <laughs> I mean, and the uh, the evolution pair. And so that's evolution, right? I used to teach my students. Why is there such a polit- political religious charge to the idea of evolution? All it says is things change. Are we having a conversation right now that says nothing changes? I just said that. That was different from what happened before. I moved my hands. They were still, I mean... It's not even worth talking about. There would be a really interesting argument, a thought experiment, if you will, and to make the assumption, test the alternate hypothesis that everything changes, it doesn't, nothing changes. But I don't want to go there. It's a basic premise of this. If you can't accept that, you shouldn't pay attention to anything that follows. So, so the idea that things change to me is as fundamental as is the sun rises every day. Um, well, I don't, I don't really care. I'm just saying that it happens, and so evolution is changed through time. So two things exist. So maybe the central tenet is simply uh, everything evolves. Things become different as time passes, whatever that means. I mean, we again, we could pick that apart at night, and we're not going to do that. Because I think it's a fairly you know, sincere observation um, that let's move forward based on this premise that things change. Okay, then we need we needed we need to deal with that, and then the most I talked about this in the uniqueness imperative a little bit. The most problematic element of that for life is that I therefore need some machinery in my body and in my species to allow for me to change. And I certainly should be born going, okay, I'm ready for change, and not do things like, okay, I've learned how to how to walk, um, and then. 
the environment go, well, we just flooded the whole planet and you got to swim and just be like, I mean, I've met people like that who are like, I did this this way. And if you don't like it, I quit. It's like, well, no, we're just asking you now. Now things have changed. Uh, we need to do it a different way. Can't you just do it a different way and release your like attachment and religious addiction to this old thing you did? And, and that, uh, what am I not doing? Do I need to tell you good job? Or anyway, <laughs> the paradox is that there is a huge amount of resistance to change in my lifetime, and I see this manifested most. The whole th- one of the massive drivers of me arriving at this idea or this position, this place in time, was being ostracized for being different. Whether it's having long hair, or riding a skateboard, or wearing pink shoes, or for somebody being of a different skin color, a different gender orientation, if you are different in this world. Not liking sports, you get ridiculed. We have societal, religious, political systems in place to ostracize people that don't conform to a very strict set of societal norms, varying degrees of strictness. But the idea is, if you're not a hippie commune, you've got a really tight set of norms that you want all of your people to adhere to. And so people like me and like you and probably like most of us that fall outside that narrow band of normalcy are ridiculed, ostracized, made to feel other than, feel like imposters, create anxiety and depression and blah, blah, blah. And it then becomes a massive part of what I consider to be the human problems of today. Even something like war, it comes down to focusing on why, how we're different and putting some value judgments on that. Evolution would spit in their in that face of that, right? Because the fundamental driver of evolution is change is happening, so we must change too. And so the paradox is in the face of a system whose central tenet is that of change, why organize culture to oppose that? And resist that. Change, not change. In what world does that make sense? Because you're cool? Because you're rebelling? Because you're going to smoke in the boys' room so your parents don't know? And because you're a grown-up? Why would we... Or, well, I know why. Why would we organize societies to all be the same in a world that selects against that sameness? Who, who would be unfit... In a world of constant change, if we took away sexual reproduction and a mechanism to react to change is in our environment from all biology, they would all die. Life would cease to exist eventually. Quickly for people like us, slowly probably for things like bacteria. Not all life, you know. Life as we know it as humans would cease to exist if we did not have, or if we like manifested this opposition to change to its fullest and literally stripped our DNA and our mitotic capacities and gamete production, our sexual organs away, it wouldn't happen. And so my point, the point of this set, the tenet in the book, whatever, the the thought, is that this is a true paradox, a 180-degree 
struggle that has the potential to explain most of the problems that I see before me in, in my life. In the absence of this struggle, the, the sort of acceptance of change, the embrace of change, the promotion of uniqueness, the uniqueness imperative, the recognition of value in new contributions, novel ideas, different skin colors, different sexual orientations, new species, dynamism, diversity. If that becomes the central tenet of our focus and valued above things like celebrity status, power, and money, we're going to make massive advances. And Egyptians, right? I mean... We have done this before. We know how to do this. It's not a process of learning something new. It's about removing the barriers that we've put in place, arguably over the last 500 to 2,000 years with things like religion or the manifestation of dogmatic religions and dogmatic science and, and the, the, the imposition of anti-change inside these cultural regulation mechanisms, which in and of themselves might not be that bad. Religion is not a bad thing. It originally served a real purpose and probably had a huge benefit until it became this management tool for sameness and conformity, which most of those things have become. You know, It's like any tool that has the power to regulate human behavior on some mass level has become um, dogmatized, indoctrinated, bastardized, you know, polluted, as a tool for psychological regulation. We got to get rid of all that crap. We got to accept the fact that we're all different and God damn it, we all should. That's great. And the way that this little boy over here and this little girl over here and this, you know, transitioning person over here is going to grow up free to express that. That's how we're going to find solutions to our problems. That's going to reduce anxiety, reduce depression, you know, minimize the suicide rate, minimize wars. Um, That's how we're going to solve our problems. Help us understand that the value of the dollar is less than the value of the perpetuation of a healthy earth. This is the way. We have to change ourselves first, but it can be done on sort of a massive scale uh, if done correctly. And it will follow sort of the uh, uh, the approach of like a religion or some other dogma that, that has a way of regulating. And I don't know what happened. I don't know when the flip switched, but I know it is inversely related or directly proportional to the onset of technology. It's like we just, and it's probably accidental, right? You know, with great power comes great responsibility. And I think as we, you know, as the technological advancement curve became exponential, I think a lot of this stuff just became sort of a unintended consequence of that rapid movement forward. And so it's okay, but I think left to our own devices on, in one-on-one conversations around the globe, we'll find enough commonality in this belief system to figure out a way 
to reprioritize. I mean, the hardest part for me is like, how do we deprioritize power and money? How do we remove the idea that because someone has figured out a way to stockpile millions of dollars, that they're not a hero whose behavior we should imitate and and whose stories we should um, talk about and perpetuate in our daily conversations? How do we devalue that? And how do we focus on the fact that I've never seen anyone dance like that before. This guy is a hero because he's or she or whatever has figured out how to reduce the judgmental forces of society telling him not to do that and has done it anyway. To me, those are that's the magic, right? And I just don't think that used to be a thing 10,000 years ago. I don't, you know, if somebody did something weird, you went, wow, cool. Like maybe somebody figured out... Um, you know, how sex works. I just read The Clan of the Cave Bear, you know, with the Neanderthals and the Homo sapiens sort of um, overlap there and how the brains work differently and how they, Neanderthals, well, in fiction book, right? In, in the story, they believe that sex was caused by the power of these spirit animals. Um, and the girl remembers thinking, so, she's thinking, well, the babies come out of the vagina and the man goes into the vagina. So maybe those things are related, you know. People like that would be, you'd be like, oh, you, you're a leader. You're a shaman. You know, I think that's how we used to treat people. You know, their roles, their contributions were obvious because they were free to become whoever they were. And if they were good at making fire, if they were good at identifying plants, if they were good at seeing um predators from a long distance they were good at contacting the spirit world that's just who they became they the 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 tribes the villages all participated in in the development of the unique contributions and not everybody has a unique contribution and i'm not saying that um you should be punished if you can't figure out how to cure cancer right Who am I to say what a contribution even is? Um, We were getting ice cream last night, and the guy behind us obviously struggling with a little bit of mental illness, and there was a little bit of fear and trepidation around his presence in the ice cream store. And he told us how he was a a dishwasher, um, and he seemed pretty proud of that. And, and, And I have no judgment. I mean, I wish I didn't. There is a little, like I said, some fear and trepidation of the difference, and that could be the full expression of his purpose and capacity in life. And that's just as beautiful as someone who figures out how, um, how to end war or stop racism, right? I mean, they're, they're, our value system is flawed, that we think we need to talk about Elon Musk buying Twitter or Kim Kardashian divorcing, whatever. There are a lot more important things going on. And and I'm not judging someone. I used to read In Touch and the National Enquirer. It's fun. But at the same time, that's not my purpose, right? I I realized eventually that I had uh, better things to die. I need other things that I was curious about and that feeding my curiosity in a different direction was what I needed to be doing at at that time. Whatever. I spent plenty of time doing those things. No judgment. And uh, but the but the idea that I, I think there is probably a hierarchy of of 
and I talked about this a little bit in my my worldviews episode, like at ninety eight or ninety seven. Part of this requires sort of a global worldview, right? We all have our individual values that are dynamic and change, especially like I was saying, as we get older, uh, those things change. But in the absence of some mechanism to sort of organize global values, this becomes difficult. And I understand the irony of that because that's sort of what religion was supposed to do. And I think did for a really long time. It just doesn't anymore. It doesn't at all. It's become, you know, when something like that happens, um, you kind of do have to throw the baby out with the bathwater or find some other way to start over. And in a big way, a lot of what I'm talking about and a lot of what the book will be is going to be a, a starting over. And that's not easy to do. It's hard. I think it's harder to modify an existing dogmatic system than it is to just break it down to, to some minimal level and build it back up. It's harder to just hire new power-hungry, greedy idiots into politics than it is to just completely change all of the political structure and the election process, right? What we tend to do is just sort of say, we'll get a different person in there to do the same job and that'll change it. Well, we, I think we can all admit that the way we're doing things now is sort of designed to resist change which is, again, the point of the evolution paradox. In order to live anything resembling a life away from constant suffering and, <laughs> and dystopic existence, we're going to have to shift from a species that prioritizes sameness and the lack of change to one that embraces change and diversity. This has been Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, episode 100. I look forward to developing the book with you, starting with episode 101 and announcing when you can see Being Better Being on YouTube. I'm Chris Bircher. Thanks for your time. Take it easy.